Welcome to the Master Slave Lifestyle Podcast. Here we'll interview real people living the real Master Slave lifestyle, all consensual and all in different ways. And in this episode... One of my favorite things, honestly, is wiggling my fingers and seeing uh, my fingers moving in a point I have gotten into university, it's easing all of his courses, it's fucking beautiful, and I cannot think of another thing that makes me prouder. I feel your beating heart right there. This is masterslavelifestyle.com. Hello everyone. For this episode, I'd like to introduce Sir Kaiju. He has a number of boys in polyamorous relationships. And in this episode, we're going to have a first, he's going to be talking about fisting and how this relates to power dynamics. Sir Kaiju, welcome. Thank you. Always happy to be here. And the first thing I'd like to ask is, could you introduce yourself to the audience? So I go by Sir Kaiju. Uh, I am located in Toronto. I'm almost 40, getting old. And as you said, I have uh, several boys who are, some of them are fisters, some of them are not. Uh, and uh, am, yeah, but I'll leave it there for now. Thank you. And how did you find your way into BDSM and having boys? So uh, BDSM as an idea pretty much came into my uh, my mind when I was a very young teenager. So this is something that I realized I was interested in. And gosh, I was probably 13 or 14. I didn't really uh, move ahead in doing anything with that until more into my mid-20s, where I actually started as a bottom uh, and a sub before uh, eventually realizing that was not a good fit for me and moved into sort of topic. Uh, and part of the reason why I started as a sub was because I was so freaked out by the things that I enjoyed that it, it made me run to a passive position where uh, I felt like I couldn't hurt anyone. And then I moved to Toronto and discovered that there were lots of people that liked to be hurt in the fun ways that I like to hurt people. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I don't have to run from this anymore. So that was a nice shift. So let's unpack this a little bit more. So what was the fear that you had? So uh, I'm an a extremely ethical, ethically grounded person. I do not like the idea of violence as a whole which is a really interesting place to be when you're in BDSM where violence is somewhat implicit in the, in the sort of activities that we like to get up to. And so it was difficult for me to square ethically the idea of uh, hurting someone in a consensual manner versus uh, causing harm generally. And I couldn't deal with that as an actor, but I could deal with that as a recipient. So I was getting a taste of what I wanted uh, when I was in a submissive role because I could get that sort of flavor of BDSM that I was looking for, but I could not, um, but I couldn't bring myself to actually be the uh, dominant in that situation. Yeah. So it was a little weird for sure, but it's been a good journey. It's been a fun journey. Were there any kind of messages or things you were telling yourself at that point about it being wrong or the fact that it's like, well, it's better if I'm a submissive? Uh, so actually, I'll, I'll tell you a story. There was a guy that I played with back when I was living in Edmonton, and he was very sweet uh, and is a nice guy. And when we played, he was much more bottomy. I was more switch at the time, and I got aggressive. I got really aggressive in the fucking, and he didn't say stop. He didn't do anything. 
he didn't like try and stop me from what I was doing. But after he was done, he uh, asked me uh, if I had ever raped someone. And that threw me for probably a multi-year journey down the like, I don't know what the hell to do, make of this. So that was a, a weird situation. I don't think in the in that moment I violated consent, but I definitely feel like he ended up going down a road he wasn't expecting to go down. And he was into it to a degree, but it was not what he really wanted in the long run and certainly was not. And that comment about raping someone just completely shut me down in terms of that sort of a role for ever because I just could not square this idea that engaging in that kind of activity could be ethical. Thank you for sharing that. No problem. With some of my coaching clients, I, I talk about the beast. So this more primal force inside. Do you think you were connecting more to the beast at that point? And then when you had that comment, it, it made you kind of go, oh my God, this is something to be careful of, or it's, it's not a part of me that should be allowed out. Yes. Uh, although um, in that notion of the beast, there's the, uh, the in-control dom, and then there's the dom that is violent and wants blood, basically. And ironically, I can feel it in my teeth. When I make the switch from I'm in control to I'm not in control anymore, or I'm pushing into a more aggressive headspace, uh, it feels like I want to bite or chew. And that's usually the indicator that I'm like, oh, I need to not do this now. I need to go away. And usually I need, just need to take myself out of the space for a little bit and I come down. But the first couple of times that it happened and I realized that was what was, uh, it was drawing me into, definitely scared the crap out of me. <laughs> um, but I'm somewhat proud to say that I've never actually given in to the urge, although, and I'm not even sure it would be fun if I did, because a degree of control is always appreciated and also consent. Uh, nobody consents to letting the beast out completely. <laughs> so thank you. I mean, maybe some people do. None of the people I would play with or have played with would consent to that. I think the way that I normally talk about it, it's how can you give the beast what it needs, but the beast is not in control. Yes. So you feed the beast, but something else, the control parts, the master part stays within control. Yeah. It's when the beast takes control that it goes to the bad place. Exactly, yeah. So you were submissive and then you moved to Toronto. And what made you then do that shift into being a dominant? Uh, so it was actually availability more than anything else. So Edmonton is a city of a million, but it's also a rural city of a million. So for people in the States, think like Minnesota. And it also has sort of that Minnesota niceness to it as well. So the scene in Edmonton for just gay folk, like general gay folk, is pretty limited and the scene for uh, Kingsters is practically non-existent. So there were, just wasn't opportunity to find people who would be okay with me actually doing that. And then when my ex-husband and I moved to Toronto, we actually went to an event called Rough House and I really wanted to go to this. He was freaked out. We went and I went, I sort of got to start playing with some of the people that uh, we would eventually become friends with. And one of them actually is a longstanding boy of mine. And probably the, oh, wow, I can do this and it's okay, uh, moment actually was with him because I watched one of the sort of big guys in the scene in Toronto here, just like tying him in the most uncomfortable positions and like 
he tied a rope around uh, around the boy's nuts and like was stretching it. I was like, ooh, can I get in on that? <laughs> I mean, I know I'm here to talk about fisting, but the cockaball torture is ugh, delicious. And uh, so I was like, oh, can I get in on that? And, they, and the rigger was like, uh, if he wants to. And the boy was like, ah, hell yeah. So I'm like, okay. And sort of was like crushing and playing with that. I'm like, oh, oh, this is perfect. Uh, and <laughs> I really turned the sort of crank towards a much more, oh, maybe I can explore this. It meant that I started appearing more dominant within the community. My ex-husband eventually became uncomfortable with the idea that I was wearing a collar while I was being this very dominant and fairly sadistic top in uh, public spaces. And so eventually I stopped wearing my collar because we had been married and as sort of a dom-subs kind of couple uh, dynamic, lightly in the bedroom, not in day-to-day. And yeah, so it's one of the things that I've kind of discovered about the teen community, certainly in Toronto, but I would also say in the online world as well as sort of internationally is that uh, your reputation means everything. And so when people are, once you start to build a bit of a reputation for yourself, if it's a positive one, people will come to you. And that's sort of been my experience uh, to date. And was that a hard transition for you at first, or did it feel very natural? It felt very natural. That was probably the thing that made it like, oh, wow, this is who I am, was that it was like putting on a, the nicest unlined leather gloves you've ever had on in your life. It's just <laughs> mm, perfect. Uh, and that was probably where I was like, oh, no, this is actually who I am was that discovery and that even just trying it out seems so natural that it was inevitable. Were you getting joy or fulfillment as well in in a way that was different from the submissive? Yeah, I really was. It was was an unusual feeling. In the submissive component, it was always, it felt a little bit like it was contrived or like I was willing to engage in stuff that I probably wouldn't want others to do or I wouldn't let others do so for example with I would pretty much allow my husband to do stuff to me but I would basically accept no one else doing it partially due to trust partially due to like I was into it but I don't think I was into it as naturally as I was into the more dominant role I'm playing now whereas this feeling uh in the dominant situation becomes much clearer and cleaner and I seek it out more than when I was in a bottom phase, I would go through months without having sex because I was like, I don't know if I really even want that. And then but it was the role I had gotten my head into. It's funny. We put ourselves into boxes, right? And I'm like, no, I'm this, blah, blah, blah. And it's, sometimes it's harder to get yourself out of the box than it necessarily was to get yourself into the box. I feel like I fell into the box and then it almost required me to try something that was so outside of my comfort zone when I was in the box, that I was like, oh, this box doesn't fit me remotely. And so I haven't gone back to that box. So you're now, let's say, a top. So how did you go from being a top to then having boys and then the fisting? So uh, actually, the fisting started as a bottom. So I'm, uh, I'm a reasonable, or I was a reasonably accomplished fisting bottom, um, which I do think helps quite a bit as a fisting top now. Because I know what it feels like, and I know what I'm doing. I also have a background in biology, so I know the anatomy quite well. I didn't need to go and look up what I was feeling. 
I knew exactly what it was that my hand was touching while I was in there. So I was introduced to fisting as a sub and long before I became a top. And then when I switched to a more dominant and top style role, it kind of started with a, an interest by my first boy. For the sake of the podcast, we'll call it Danger Hole because that's his Twitter handle. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Danger uh, was new that I had uh, experience with fisting and was kind of into the idea. And so over the course of a couple of years, we had sort of been playing, but uh, his hole tends to be pretty reactive. And so it just wants to go and clamp back shut the moment any, whatever's inside it leaves. So it took a while for him to finally get to the point where he could take a fist. The sort of like really first time that I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it right now. Uh, actually was with a my other boy, uh, who is Puppy Satter, Pup Satter, and Pup, and I met for like a coffee date and then hooked up the next time we hung out. And so literally the second time I met him, um, we were playing around, I tied him up a little bit, we did some other stuff, and I started playing with this hole, and I'm like, oh, oh, wow, this is so pliable. And ready. And I was like, have you taken a fist before? And he's like, no. And I'm like, guess what? You're doing it now. Uh, and I had known from him before that he was into sort of a consensual, non-consensual, non-consent kind of scene. And so uh, I was like, no, this is happening now. And he was like, what? And I'm like, this is happening right now. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh, and so he took his first uh, fist uh, the second time he met me, which Props to him for trusting me, uh, but uh, it was a lot of fun. And he, since then, has become an incredibly accomplished fisting bottom, but also a very accomplished uh, fisting top. He's starting to be uh, also a little bit of top with his uh, partner, as well as playing with uh, some other boys, which is really good. But back to Danger, Danger, and uh, I worked on his hole until it finally gave up. And uh, so he's been quite good with fisting actually the last little while and um, he's still sort of playing and getting better and working uh, on things himself the one thing i will say about fisting is um, for boys that really want it but can never seem to make it happen it really does take playing with yourself sometimes because a nursing friend of mine once told me that like every hole can take a fist because if a toy gets lost we're going up there after it we're going to knock you out or we're going to give you a little bit of like, we're basically going to roofie you so you don't remember the experience, but we're going after it and uh, we'll give you something to relax things. Eventually a fist is going up that hole to try and grab it from your lower intestine so we don't have to cut you open. So pretty much every human body, every human rectum, as long as you're big enough, can take a hand in it. It's usually the mind more than the actual body that is stopping the process. Most holes can stretch to accommodate a reasonably sized fist. And I'm fortunate enough that my fist is, though medium-sized, quite collapsible. So a decent starter fist without being too small, I guess. So let's expand on that a bit. And yeah. <laughs> what intended there. So in terms of, let's say someone who's new to fisting or wants to be fisted there's there's often a journey here to actually do that like i, I know there's some people and in some ways they like to slam drugs to relax and do it and then there's other people that want to do it in a more natural fashion 
could you talk a bit about that kind of journey and do do you have a preference do you prefer drugs or do you prefer kind of like the natural uh in general natural or like some poppers is preferred i don't like playing with people who are drugged largely because it starts to become a question of consent and that gets dicey legally and also ethically I have a sort of no drugs kind of rule in terms of fisting. I have softened that a little bit. So it's not quite as absolute as it used to be. But in general, it is better to do stuff like that sober. I've played with guys who have taken fists that are completely sober. Uh, In fact, one of the guys that I've been playing with recently took a fist completely sober, didn't even have poppers. And he went, that was his first fist. He went from like really not being able to do much to taking a fist in a month. So yeah, it really is a headspace thing. And usually that's the, like people are taking the drugs. They think it's for the physicality, but it's not for what's going on in their body. It's for what's going on in their mind. So if you need to numb your mind in order to make something happen physically, you may want to rethink the things that you're thinking uh, rather than just trying to numb them away. Yeah. Uh, For people who find alcohol or uh, marijuana to be relaxing. For some people, it can call it anxiety. That can sometimes be helpful. But again, I like don't get yourself stoned out of your tree or so drunk that you don't know what's going on. You really, if you should be present, you should be there. Um, and any top who is pushing you to take drugs to make it possible for you to take a hand in you is not a good choice. <laughs> and go find somebody else, especially if it's your first time. And for the natural method, so how does one go about from, let's say, never being fisted? You know, there might be some people that are still nervous about anal. How um, do you go from there to suddenly being able to accept a fist? What is the journey? Uh, A lot of it is toys or a very dedicated, like if you're on a couple and one of you is into fisting and one of you is uh, into fisting as a recipient, then that's a great opportunity for you to do it without toys because you can just keep practicing and get, just keep playing until eventually you get there. But I really am a believer in uh, toys. I have a specific toy that I recommend to people, which is the, uh, I always get it from Mr. S. Leather, but it's actually a square peg toy called the ass trainer, I think it is. What it looks like is it looks like a, the tips of uh, fingers and then three levels of gradually getting wider and it's a big plug. It's fantastic because it really does give the sensation of taking a fist. Um, And once you get to that sort of second ridge, you can easily take a medium-sized fist, no problem. Like, a stretch is more than sufficient. And doing it alone and getting to that point where you're like, oh, wow, okay, I'm my hole has managed to stretch over that second ring. It might feel intense, but it's there. That level of certainty that, like, oh, I can't hit that is a lot easier than trying to do it with somebody else in the room who's like waiting for you to relax enough to get to that point. Um, if you can get down onto that ring a couple of times uh, for a few weeks, you should have no trouble taking a fist and walking in with that kind of confidence makes it a lot easier. So it sounds like it's just very slowly, you know, playing with your hole and just going more deeper. Slow and steady. Um, for people who do use poppers, the poppers can help. I caution people from using too much because they can also make things too numb. And that means that you don't really know what's going on. 
But that said, the rectum is quite resilient. It can stretch and accommodate a lot more than people think it can. And you are reasonably safe playing around in there. And you can go even further. Like I remember fisting someone the once. And I remember at a certain point, I went much deeper than I was expecting halfway through the session. And he kind of crossed eyes. And I was just like, oh, are you okay? And it's like, oh, you've just reached. And this is his words. I, I don't know if it's correct, but like, you've just reached the um, second sphincter. I've, I've always wanted to go there and I've never done it before. Yes. The journey continues. The journey does continue. So there's kind of a, an upper limit, but reasonably, uh, so I'm a, I'm a quite tall person, about six foot four. So up to my elbow is probably as far as a human being can get. I have played with guys who have gotten there. And one of the sort of tricks to that is the structure of the rectum is basically a, a balloon that one point, one direction goes out into the rest of the world. The other direction is through the entryway into your colon. And the second sphincter, second hole is the very top of the rectum. It's not technically a sphincter. What it is is a fold between the sigmoid colon and the top of the rectum. A sphincter is a very specific tissue. But when you get up in there, uh, you can get your uh, fingers in there. Uh, even for someone who is particularly stretched out, you can pretty easily get your fingers around that corner. And that can be a, a very pleasurable or very intense uh, experience for someone. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people can have anal orgasms from it. That has been my new favorite toy for the last uh, couple of months is uh, extracting anal orgasms out of boys. Now that I've sort of figured out how to make it happen around seven or number seven or number eight, they're usually begging for me to stop because the pleasure is too intense. Wow. Which tickles my dom bone in a totally different way. Do you keep their cocks locked up? That's what you do. Oh, absolutely. You're never allowed <laughs> to touch your, you never touch your dick when I'm inside you. <laughs> and for good reason. I mean, part of it is, yes, it's a fun little fetish, but the other side of it is if you're too busy focusing on your dick, you cannot feel the sensations that are going on inside your hole and you're cheating yourself from the uh, sensation of an anal orgasm because your dick is the natural sort of normal way that we have all learned to come and taking that away forces your brain to find different ways to enjoy itself. So it's a duly sort of situation. But getting into the getting deeper, you can get much deeper into a person. But once you hit the uh, sigmoid colon, the sigmoid colon is held in place by a bunch of ligaments. And so much like you're doing yoga and stretches, you can straighten it out because it's, it's sigmoid because it's shaped like an ass. And so those ligaments are holding it in place in that shape, but you can stretch those ligaments out so that eventually it can straighten out. And that's what allows you to go quite a bit deeper into somebody's body. But that's a very slow, gradual process. You cannot learn to do the splits in one day. You cannot straighten a sigmoid colon in one day. It's, a, <laughs> it's something that you have to play with. And it's usually something that bottoms will do with toys on their own sort of time. And they'd be like, I can go deeper when they play with the top. So, yeah. And I do, one of my favorite things, honestly, is wiggling my fingers and seeing uh, my fingers moving in a boy's abdomen. It's beautiful. And it's fun to give a person a massage, or to massage another person's abs from the inside. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So... So we've just started to talk about this now, um, but I'll be explicit in the question. So what do you enjoy about it? God, it's just a lot of fun. Um, some, there's something wonderful about the deviance of it. You get to do something that most people 
sort of squidge out at, at the idea that it's like you're doing what? As a man who is very, very well endowed, there's a reason that I liked to play with uh, fisting bottoms, even when I wasn't fisting very much. And it was because I would not have a failure to take um, my dick. <laughs> so, because um, they can take big toys. And so what I'm trying to put inside them is nothing that they aren't familiar with. Uh, so that's sort of what actually drew me into fisting as, a, as an activity as a top anyway, was because the demographic that I can fuck for a reasonable period of time is also the demographic that I can usually take a fist in them. It is an incredibly intimate thing. I fuck for sound. I love the sounds that boys make when they're riding that plane and pleasure line and nothing gets you there like a fist in someone's hand or a fist in someone's ass. Like, it's just beautiful. The moans are gorgeous. The looks on their face are gorgeous. Now that I figured it out, I can extract anal orgasms at pretty much at will, especially if the boy's been able to do it before in the past. And it's so much easier if my hand is in them. Oh, and I can feel your heartbeat, man. Like, so because of how the body is designed, like, this uh, descending aorta runs right by where my hand is. And I can feel your beating heart right there. And it is super, super intimate uh, in a very different way. Yeah, so that. My ex-master used to say that um, when you fist someone, it's like going in and touching their soul. Yeah, it can be very intense like that. Um, you're doing something that oftentimes boys have very, very rare opportunities to do. And I don't know why this is, but I seem to have the unusual ability to get deeper in boys than they expected, and oftentimes much faster than they expected. So even if they have done this kind of play before, it's usually, it seems like it's faster and uh, more intense than what they're used to, and yet they still love it. So quite the chuff for me, I guess, uh, but it's also just a uh, really intense, kind of wonderful and unique experience that the two of us get to share together. And how does the power dynamics come into this? So you, as a, not just, let's say, a, a sex top now, but as a master or a dominant that's controlling? So a lot of that comes down to, well, for the boys that I play, that are my boys, not the people I play with, but for my boys, a lot of it does come down to training. So uh, setting expectations and having the boys uh, try and achieve them, sometimes successfully, sometimes not. Failure is as much fun as success. Um, there is the, I'm going to be mean to you, and I'm just going to do it. And you have your, you have your safe words, but I'm just going to be an asshole for a bit. And that's really fun for me. Like I said, my, my fundamental kink is sadism. So being an asshole jackass to someone uh, in their most elegant places is... A lot of fun and the fact that they'll let me is kind of crazy there are definitely times when as a dom i do not understand why a sub would ever allow me to do to them the things that i do and yet they do so i appreciate it but it is very intense and sort of that's kind of the power dynamic most of my boys who know me call, or who play i play with regularly call me sir uh, as default a couple of them have now convinced me that I'm a daddy. I'm not super pleased about that, but fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that old yet. Danger especially, uh, because he and I are in a much more mentorship style role. He gets away with calling me daddy more than I would generally allow anybody else. But at the same time, in terms of dominance with him, it is setting expectations. Like, oh, you're going to take this today. He's like, what? And they're like, oh, no, this is happening. 
Uh, and you may or may not get a choice in the matter. And that's sort of the expectation. So that's kind of the dominance aspect of it for me. My dominance is quite loose. I don't own any of the boys that I play with. I've collared uh, Danger, and I consider him mine uh, in terms of uh, sort of father-son, mentor-mentee kind of role. But I don't, in terms of like ownership or slave, I know this is the Master Slave uh, podcast, I don't uh, engage in that level of ownership because I prefer looseness. And all of my boys are brats. They're all too smart to be completely submissive. They're always like just slightly bratty, put two of them in a room with me and they're going to try and gang up on me. And it's that sort of like pushback uh, is funny to me and uh, it's usually entertaining. So I enjoy that looseness to it. Something that, that has kind of come up over this kind of podcast is the, the mind. So you would say for the fisting, it's around the minusing guy or... That, for instance, your um, boys can often, you can go deeper with them. So from, let's say, a mind point of view, what are you doing there that works so well? Good question. I don't always know. So I am, part of it really is confidence, I think. I know what I'm doing. And when I don't know what I'm doing, I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing. But either way, I'm reasonably confident. I appear reasonably confident. And fake it till you make it works a bit. Um, the other part is uh, I really get off on connection. So I do a lot of eye contact, I'm quite verbal. And so part of that is almost, it's almost a form, a very loose form of hypnosis where I'm talking to them and I'm working them through and they'll go, oh, that hurts. And I'm like, okay, okay, I'm not leaving, but I'm just going to stay here and wait until things relax. For most boys, when they take their first fist, they panic and they want it out immediately. Uh, and that is straight up the worst thing that you can do <laughs> because the panic is a spasm and the spasm, if I yanked my hand out in the middle of it, it would feel horrible. Like yeah. it would just be agonizing. So once I'm in, it's critical that they actually calm down and properly push out rather than like trying to have me rinse it out. So I've gotten used to, okay, you're panicking, calm down. You're all right. Everything's fine. Feel the sensation. Okay, now push. So that it's that sort of, uh, it's almost like walking them through intentional panic attack, I guess, but not really to that extreme. But a, a moment of anxiety, anxiety comes up all the time, especially when a body is responding to fairly intense stimuli. It's really about calming them down, warming them up, getting them comfortable with what's happening. And slowly working their mind into the idea that what's happening is normal and okay. And that, I think, is probably the key about what makes things more successful is just going with the, it's okay, things are fine. And this it's been the same thing with uh, flogging. It's been the same thing with other kinds of pain play that I've done where like that moment of intensity can be very extreme, but you can talk a person through it. And they will, if they're in the right headspace, eventually accept it. And that's, I think, what I'm doing is I'm talking people into subspace. Um, it sounds like you're kind of creating the container so they can feel safe to go deeper, take more. It's kind of like this isn't the space and it's okay being here. Yeah. So my, my background is education and also psychology. And there's a saying that I'll often tell 
teachers and professors is that only from a place of safety is someone willing to make or take a risk. And so if you can make a person feel safe, they will take crazy risks that they would never think of doing if they, for a moment, felt like they weren't completely safe. And that is really what that ends up being about, is making them feel completely safe so that they can engage in activities they might not otherwise be able to. I also sort of as a dom exist under the rule that I can open a door, but it's ultimately up to the sub to, to step through it. You can't push a sub into a situation that they won't do. They are free human beings. They can always just read out. And so that's kind of the consent is always the part of it. And choice is always a part of it. And reminding them they have that choice is also really makes people feel safe. And then having occasions when they test that and see whether or not you actually will back off when you say you will. And then they do. When you do, they're like, oh, okay, this is safe. And that makes a big difference. We kind of started this with you saying that you you were a submissive and then you moved into a top. Do you think being able to create this container, being able to create this safety has come from the experience you've had both good and bad from the submissive? Or has this come more from when you embrace your dominant side? It definitely comes from my dominant side. It actually comes from my teaching probably more than my kink role, which is a weird overlap, but it is the way it is because I work... Uh, I worked predominantly with at-risk youth and who had had terrible, terrible experiences in school systems in the past. And so a student having a panic attack in front of me was not an uncommon experience. And also having a situation where I need to talk them through something stressful is incredibly normal for me. Uh, And so I took those tools uh, that I learned uh, as a teacher and just applied them to the world of kink. It's really interesting when we talk about it like that because, you know, when I dominate or top someone, it's always about how can I create a safe space so I can move them really far down into submission. But some of my experiences as a slave, sometimes the masters wanted to scare me, create fear. That means I never go into a deep submission because I'm like, am I safe? Wow, yeah. be careful about myself. And that's one of those things where you really, like, if you're going to scare someone, you really need to get yourself them in a situation where they know that if they're choosing to be a dick that day, the sub still knows that they are completely safe, right? You aren't going to go off the rails as a dom. You aren't going to, like, start causing major harm. You are just doing something that you know is a little freaky to them. And that, like, sometimes that's okay, sometimes that's not. Um, it's one of those things where a, a degree of talking people through it in advance is probably helpful, but it does have a bit of an edge to it, which is why I would never start with something like that. Like if you're going to put someone into a situation where you know what you're going to do is extreme, you get them into the headspace first, where they are completely happy, completely trusting, they feel safe, everything is fine, and then you put on the scary. Being scared is only fun when you know that you're safe. Nobody goes on a roller coaster without a strap on. Nobody wants to be haunted by it in real life. We think it's scary things are fun because we know that they're not real or because they're safe. We're safe. And only in those situations are we actually comfortable toying with those ideas. And that's kind of the, uh, the same circumstance where with you, I think, is that uh, if you're in a 
situation with a dom who decides that they're going to do something scary and they haven't cleared it with you, that's probably the fastest way to pull someone out of a subspace because now they don't trust what's happening anymore. And trust and safety are the two things that make this work. Without it, it would just collapse. So I'm sorry that happened. That's not super fun. <laughs> I, I think it's how people can misunderstand control. And sometimes this idea of breaking the slave or pushing someone down, you know, okay, I need to bring absolute force here. Whereas that might deaden someone and you get the reaction you want, similar to someone being in a dentist chair and dissociating from themselves. Yeah. But then when you talk about true submission or the true opening up, be that with submission or your whole to be fisted, okay. it's around how you can really create that trusted space so that person can just let go. Absolutely. And I really, you bring up the idea of breaking somebody down and I do not subscribe to that notion at all. Uh, as an educator and as someone with a background in psychology, what you are doing is creating trauma. Please stop. <laughs> Full stop. Uh, the Every single person that I play with or that I, uh, or who is one of my boys, my goal is to build them up because they have already chosen. By the, time, by the time they have gotten into my sling, they have already chosen to do at least the barest minimum of the activity that we have decided on in advance. So if it's taking a fist, great. If it's taking a flogging, whatever. If it's letting me tie them up and tickle the shit out of them until they piss themselves, never gotten pissed yet. Still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> but they've already consented to that sort of activity. Trying to find out what their goal is and trying to assist, assist them in getting to that goal is way more fun than trying to break them and turn them into something that they're not. Because human beings, when they are able to self-actualize and have support in self-actualization, become some of the most powerful creatures in the world. Like I have danger and danger, like I've, I'm kind of his daddy, he's kind of my son, I'm a mentor, he's my mentee kind of thing. Realistically, I have taken a boy who was brilliant, but never realized how smart he was. And I have gotten him into university. He is acing all of his courses. It's fucking beautiful. And I cannot think of another thing that makes me prouder than seeing my sub and the boy who I gave him his first fist, the boy whose background is sketchy, just grow into this wholly amazing human being who is now learning academic terminology and is coming at me and being a brat with his academic terms, which is a, which is a <laughs> little strange for me as an academic being like, wait a minute, you're not supposed to come at me with Foucault yet. It's too early, but that's okay. And that is way more powerful. You want someone to obey and respect you. You don't get that by breaking them. You get that by building them up and making them trust you. And the idea that you have to scare someone into submission you're trying to shove them through the door. And that's non-consent, in my opinion. And I find it disturbing. Thank you for saying that. And congratulations to both you and Danger. Ah, thank you. He's getting new terms to be a brat with. <laughs> <laughs> a final question. So we've been talking about, let's say, the safety, creating a good container, also creating this fear. And then at one point, we were talking about the beast. So... How do you harness the beast now in what you do? I'm going to say that as long as the beast gets at least a little bit of what he wants, he's happy. When he comes out, it's usually a surprise. 
or when it comes out and I'm, I like, I feel it in the bitey, in the teeth sort of sense, it's a shock. And it's usually from a stimulus that I wasn't expecting to be aroused by. So the last time was actually a photo shoot with a woman. And I suddenly was like, I want to bite something. And I was like, oh, okay. Weird. It was a woman in my accent. It was that her, she was in this like fucking ridiculous, like Catwoman catsuit-esque thing with these crazy white uh, contacts in. It was just phenomenal. And I was doing the rope work for the scene so that they could have like good rope and such and so on. And I was just like, oh, wow, I'm not into girls at all, but this is turning me on somehow, <laughs> or it's turning on the beast somehow, and he wants to go play. And there was no time to play, so I was like, okay, so you need to calm the hell down. That's okay. And what, uh, so as long as I get to do the things that I want to do, the beast doesn't really wake up that much, right? Because he's getting what he wants. Every once in a while, someone on like Grinder or Scruff or Recon will be like, what's your fantasy? What fantasies haven't you tried? And I'm like, I am so far past having fantasies that I haven't tried. <laughs> I can't like, I, I don't have an answer to that question. If, I, if there's a thing that I want to do, I've done it. Or I haven't realized that I want to do it yet. I have people who are more than willing to let me do almost anything to them. So if there are if there are things that I haven't done, it's because I don't want to. And I, I feel like that's an incredibly privileged position to be in. I, I feel incredibly privileged to have the voice that I have. I in, feel incredibly privileged to have played with people that I've played with over the course of my life and over my, especially the course of my time in Toronto. But it's kind of a, a marvelous situation to be in where like I don't have a wish list really anymore. And so I get to focus on other people's wish lists a little bit more and find new and exciting things through that, through giving them parts of what they need while still meeting my own needs. The one thing I'm, I'm very cautious about is I don't want to be a kink dispenser. I am not other people's kink dispensers. Uh, and this occasionally happens with some doms where they are drawn into the needs of subs who are like, oh, well, you can do this, so do it for me. And I don't do that. I don't play for the sake of play. And I will not play with people that I'm not interested in playing with for my own devices, even though it's on their list. Because I think that that is also a violation of consent for me. And no, I don't owe anybody anything and they don't owe me anything. And I shouldn't be pushed into a corner to do stuff that I want to do. <laughs> um, so that's a nice place to be. Yeah. So that's kind of where things are. Thank you. Yeah. We're coming to the end of the interview now. So is there any last words you'd like to say? Not really. I, I feel like the, in terms of fisting, this is a good primer for folks. Uh, in terms of my sort of existence here to what anyone cares, uh, that's a pretty decent introduction. This was fun. If you do actually want to uh, talk more about fisting and sort of the mechanics of it or uh, more details, the teacher bone says, yeah, it'd be fun. Fisting is an interesting dynamic and an interesting world. And it really does exist kind of in parallel to kink, which I think is uh, funny. There are fisters who are not into kink at all or don't consider it a kink, which I'm like, okay. Uh, and then there are uh, fisters who are big uh, BDSM folk. And it's, it's interesting that it sort of sits on either side of that line. For those who want to play with fisting, I, I really do recommend that toy. And if you can, like, I'll, I'll give you a, a link to it and you can uh, maybe share it with the podcast. It's really great. It opened me up and it's opened up many other boys over the course of years. 
and it really is uh, helpful. And um, yeah, and, and I encourage people who want to try fisting to try fisting themselves or use toys to try and get them opened up first so that they're comfortable with the fact that they should be able to do it. So that when they get in a room with somebody who's like expectantly waiting for them to relax enough to take a fist, they don't need to resort to using uh, drugs or uh, alcohol to make that happen. It's not necessary. And yeah, don't fall down that path. Too many boys are willing to take too many drugs because they think they should be able to do something when a little bit of patience would get them a lot further. So Kaiju, thank you so much for this fascinating talk. Absolute pleasure. Take care. You too. If you'd like to be interviewed by me or know someone who would, you can get in touch with me at the email contact at masterslavelifestyle.com. You can now support the podcast, website, and Masterslave community through Patreon membership, receive benefits such as early access to the podcast, exclusive video workshops, and more, along with my thanks for supporting me. There is now a free download to help you take the next steps in the Master Slave lifestyle, suitable for both beginners and those who want a full-time relationship. Check out the show notes for more information on both. And if you're interested in finding out more on the 24-7 Total Power Exchange lifestyle, go to the website at masterslavelifestyle.com for more information. Thank you all for listening.